We go to work, and when we're off, we whine about our day. We sip our cares away, and you can do the same, cause you're in a safe place when you're whining with nurses. Hello. Hey, Hello. guys. Hello. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Whining with, with nurses. nurses. I'm Kat. I'm Desi. I'm Jen. And we are accompanied by a bottle. A bottle that actually... <laughs> I thought you said a butthole. <laughs> I was like... Well, we are all accompanied. British. <laughs> British. <laughs> I um, By this mountain cuvee from Bunchu, Gunlatch Bunchu Winery in Sonoma. Um Sonoma County. I guess it was, oh, it's a 2017 red blend. And it was red blends. Yes. I really do like red blends. Yeah. Um, Our red blends, I wonder, like a lot of times they say house wines. Like if you go to a restaurant, if they say, like the the table, is a table wine like usually a blend? Like the house red that they have? Yeah. I'm not sure. We'll have to look that up. Yeah. I wonder if it typically is. I don't know. Anyway, I guess this winery is one of the first in Sonoma County. Yeah. Right. Nice. Oh, that's what the guy at the cool. grocery store says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks fancy. So do you want to pop it and I'll hold the... Sure. <laughs> um, I have to admit, earlier I was so excited to drink a glass of wine that I opened it uh, a little early, so I had to fudge the corks oh out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's okay. We'll just like... Here, let me... Oh, no. Wait. Wow. How do we do this? Oh, there you go. Why that was, see, that? we didn't even need the... <laughs> Anytime we miss it, I'll just pop my yeah. mouth. I had no idea yeah. I could do that until I tried it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> anyway. I'll have a little more. Okay. We are... It I'm looks good. really Thank good. Thank you. Yeah. That looks really good. <laughs> yeah, Jen's suffering a little no, bit. No, I'm too. actually good now. Yeah. But yes, it was a struggle um, through okay. the night. <laughs> I think we need two more. No. I couldn't reach them. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Desi. <laughs> Only share with those you can immediately reach. Anyway, how have you guys been? I've been pretty darn good. Can't complain. In yeah. the works of buying a house. Oh, wow. Uh, which is... That's always exciting. Driving, so yeah, crazy. It's, but it's stressful. like a... Yeah, stressful. More so just like a lesson in um, managing my own expectations. Mm. So, But it's been good. Work's been all right. Summer's been good. Yeah. How about you? Are you back at work? Yeah, I'm back at work now. So oh, it's been man. like three weeks. Mm. Last time I was here, it was not. So we'll have to do a follow-up episode at some point about the work-life yeah. balance. Like yeah, after, totally. Now that I'm back at it. Yeah. A lot to say, you think? Yeah. Is it pretty yeah. hard? It, it's, it was difficult at first, I think, like adjusting back to night shift. Um, I'll have to go more into that later, but definitely it's getting better. Good. And the work part isn't bad. Good. 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 How about you? Mm. What's up with you, Kat? Good. I'm getting married in 10 days. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, so I get, got the license. Yeah, so we got the license. I had no idea I had to, like, swear in or do oh my any gosh. of that stuff. I just didn't even know because like, why would I? It takes the romance out of it, too, doesn't it? Was, it? It's like, I uh, didn't care. It was like, oh, my God, this is so official. I know. It's so official. <laughs> yeah. Um, and changing my name. It was just awkward. Like, last name was such a strange experience to, like, put that I'm doing it. And then she was like, okay, hey, now write your new name here. Oh and I was like, oh, my God. It was just a really odd are you gonna come up with a new signature (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't know what i want to do i want to just keep everything the same because it's easier yeah yeah um but anywho yeah you don't think you'll exciting like you'll legally change your last name 
Yeah, or, it's already okay. like it's on it the did. document. Okay. I mean, when we sign it, it'll be official. But yeah, I'm changing it. And then, um, but she was at, Desi was asking if like I'm going to change my signature so I can it reflects, you know, that oh. my name is now different. So would I sign things differently? I don't know. I feel like it's easier to not do that, but who knows? Um, anywho, so today we have Scott Benner on as our guest. Um, he is the owner, <laughs> sorry, you say the owner of, I don't know. The host? He, yeah, he's the host. He runs the amazing, amazing podcast. I'm totally hooked on called the Juice Box Podcast. It's um, a type one diabetic podcast, which I am type one diabetic and I found it and it totally changed my management. And um, for anyone who knows, my AUNC was like, sevens and kind of mid high sixes and now it's 5.5 which is the lowest I've had it in Whoa. 11 years oh, congrats yeah, so I'm yeah. stoked and it was because of him and and changing my diet to like more low carb and stuff and it's made a huge yeah. difference but wow. how'd you so, stumble on his podcast um how did I uh oh because I follow a lot of people on Instagram uh type 1 diabetics on Instagram and some of them were talking about the podcast and so I just for months and months and months. And then I finally was like, oh, I guess you should listen. And uh, I'm so glad I did. Yeah, that was great. So we did a little intro already and kind of said, you know, how I found your podcast and it kind of um, really helped me get better control. Please tell us, you know, who you are and what your podcast is about and how you're um, influenced in the diabetes community. Should I do what some people do to me sometimes? And I say, go ahead and introduce yourself. They're like, hi, my name's Scott. <laughs> hey, you I'm know like, what to do, Scott. I'll trust you. I'm like, I'm like, this is going to be a long hour if you can't go farther than that when I ask you to introduce yourself. Exactly. But, oh, okay. So, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Scott Benner, um, the uh, father of a little girl named Arden. I guess she's not so little now. She's uh, just turned 15 a couple of weeks ago. Nice. Arden's Happy had birthday. type one. Oh, thank you. Send a gift or don't bother. Um, so... Uh, and she'd want money to buy clothing with, I think. But uh, Arden, Arden was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes just a couple weeks after her second birthday in 2006. And uh, a year later, I started a blog, a, a type 1 diabetes blog, which, of course, now at this point, people are like, oh, that's so quaint. Mm-hmm. Um, what, a, what a retro idea that must have been. But in, uh, in 2007, there were only a few of them. And uh, my blog has been active uh, since then. It's uh, it's probably one of the the. I don't know how to sound. I'm gonna sound like a. Do- oh, do you guys curse by the way? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm gonna sound. Uh, I'm gonna sound like a douchebag. But okay, I'll just do it anyway. Um, it's probably one of the bigger type one body type one blogs like, on the internet. To be perfectly honest. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, but a but a handful of years ago, I noticed that people weren't reading as much as they used to. And at first, I just thought that was me. Like, my lack of self-confidence allowed me to believe that I had been failing at, at blogging. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I spoke to some friends, and everybody was seeing a downturn in clicks. And I thought, like, well, the blog helps people. I don't want it to go away. So throughout this time we spend together, I'm going to sound like an asshole at any number of junctures. Um, <laughs> but but at, at, at my core, I really just care about people with type 1 diabetes living healthier, easier lives, Right. So I thought the blog was doing that, and I, I was scared it was going to go away. I was scared that the internet was turning into BuzzFeed quizzes and that people were going to stop reading. <laughs> so I had written a book um, 
it was a parenting book and I, I was doing my media for it and I got lucky a couple of times. Like I was on NPR and did a couple things with Katie Couric once or twice. And, oh, wow. No and way. I got That's with, so cool. Yeah. I have your book. Very... I haven't read it yet, but it's definitely on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Coffee You're going book. to love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so, but but I, was, uh, I, was, I was speaking with Katie Couric on her television show and when it was over, she sort of pulled me aside when we were done taping. And she thanked me for coming and said, you're very good at this. And I, I, I totally honestly looked at her and I was like, good at what? <laughs> and she, and she, she goes, talking. And I was like, everybody's good at talking. And she goes, no, most people aren't. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And so she's like, you made these people laugh. You made them think. She's like, every, she's like this was great. And I, I was very like, touched and I walked away. Well, about a year later when I was having that thought about blogging disappearing, I very much didn't want what I thought the blog was accomplishing to disappear too. So I launched a podcast not knowing anything about it. I bought about $500 worth of equipment and I had this like harebrained idea that I was going to read my most popular blog posts into the podcast basically. Just turn it into like an audiobook for the blog. Mm. Nice. And I yeah, well, well, I did it one time. <laughs> I got about five minutes into it, and I thought, I can't even listen to this. How is yeah. anybody else going to? Right? Droning. <laughs> the fucking most boring idea I'd ever had in my entire life. So I, um, the people who listen to my podcast are going to be like, I didn't know that guy cursed. So for all, all, for all of you listening throughout the normal part of my day, I'm holding in cursing. Right. When well, I'm we, talking to you guys on the podcast constantly, oh my god! Our gosh. podcast is full of honest, like when you said, "Oh, I'm going to sound arrogant or whatever, like an asshole." I'm like, "Oh, that's all we do." I mean, we we're are like, very self indulgent. Yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> well, nurses and we're letting all our stress and everything out and talking about harsh realities, and so we curse and, um, you know, yeah. it's all good. So you fit in cool. right. Yeah, we always sound like douchebags too. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, so I, I, I launched this podcast. I, my first idea is terrible. And then I don't know what to do. I've already committed to it. And, you know, like they say, tell the world you're doing something so you can't not do it. So I was stuck doing it. And I got lucky. And um, that guy was on um, American Idol about five years ago. had type one. Really talented singer. His, uh, his uncle was famous. God, I can't that think of his name. That sounds so familiar, but I... Hold on. I, I would open up iTunes and look, but I can't. I'll think of his name at some point. Mm -hmm. But I reached out to him, and I was totally bullshitting him. I was like, I, well, I wasn't. I was like, I have a type 1 diabetes um, podcast, and I'd like you to come on. And he did it. He ended up being my first episode. Oh, right? really? Yeah. Wow. Struck gold. So cool. <laughs> and, so, um, and so I got him, and then I started, like, I was like, wow, now it looks like something. So people, sorry, that's Arden's blood sugar. Um, and then so people started coming on. See, people started coming on the podcast, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I kind of caught a rhythm. And... Sometimes I'd have people on and sometimes I would just talk about management ideas. And around maybe like episode 11, I just sort of one day told people, I think like you should be bold with insulin. Mm -hmm. And it just caught on in a way that I didn't, I had no intention of, you know what I mean? And before I knew it, I was seeing people using that hashtag in the diabetes community. And there was one day I saw it and I was like, that can't be a coincidence. You, you know what I mean? Like I'm the only one that's ever said that. Mm -hmm. And it, um... It just grew into a method of managing insulin and diabetes, and the podcast just exploded from there. I'm getting ready to celebrate my one millionth download for the podcast. So, wow. Um, it really is kind of crazy and unintended. But the best part is if the blog was valuable to people, and by that I mean I would get a note like every four days I'd get an email from somebody. 
the podcast gets, no lie, six notes a day from people. And it's about their A1C is going down usually one and a half to two points since finding the podcast. Yeah. Mine went down to 5.5 and it was always sixes and sevens and I listened to you and some other stuff and it, I mean... You know, we I, don't have to talk about the other stuff, but yeah, you listen to me, and then what happened exactly? <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. helped. You know, um, it, I would love to know how it helped, honestly, because I have an intent. I always talk about the podcast in terms of art. Like when an artist makes art, they do what they mean, but it always is seen by somebody else differently than mm-hmm. they intend. So I know what I intend with the podcast, but right. then people tell me what it really is to them, and sometimes I'm surprised by it. I think uh, for me, it was like the thing you're famous for basically, which is bold with insulin. And like, just, it's like, it didn't click until you said it, like just take more insulin. You just need more insulin. And like, obviously, and then the little things like, you know, using basils a lot more. I already use basils a lot, but, or temp basils, I mean. Um, And well, currently I'm struggling. (laughs) I had a really bad low last weekend um, and I was out of state. And since then, I've ha- I feel like I've had PTSD. And I, I'm not being bold with insulin because I'm terrified to give it. And so I'm letting myself run, you know, probably 60 points higher than normal. And anyway, but I, I talked to some other lady on Instagram, like diabetes community, and she kind of helped me talk through it and felt a lot better. But uh, that's also the reality of it where I don't, I, I mean, I, I wasn't hospitalized. I didn't have a seizure or anything, but I was out of state. It was the middle of the night at a comedy show. I had nothing. I used all the glucose I had with me. Some people gave me free stuff. And then we were walking for 30, 45 minutes down the road because all the you know cops were everywhere to close the roads off. And I was trying to get to a gas station. And I, I mean, it was oh, just this yeah, awful. Scary. And then in Ubers and then looking up the nearest hospital in case I had like, in case I couldn't get my blood up, I was, I had over a hundred carbs and 42 with an arrow down and I didn't know what to do and I was terrified. I also had had like a couple of beers so that was not helping. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, I would say the one episode we haven't done yet because I still am looking for the person, I'm looking for the right alcoholic <laughs> slash type 1 diabetic to talk about it. Yeah. But somebody who really knows how to negotiate alcohol and type 1. Like yeah. did you think, did you shut your basil off completely? No, I, you- I have never ever had a hard time. I uh, drink a lot. I don't that sounds bad, but I drink like <laughs> date, like, you know, wine lately. I haven't been, but, um, a lot. And I've never had a single all through my tw- over 10 years. I've had like drinking, um, going to clubs, dancing middle night. I have never had a, tr- a problem ever until, um, last weekend. I've yeah, never, do you know what to attribute it to. I, I don't know. I, um, I, well, I was kind of high all day after eating, lunch and then I kept giving myself insulin but not massive amounts just units here units there increased basal right. here and then it all just hit I was sitting still watching a concert but probably I don't know you know and I had forgotten my glucagon not that it would have worked because I had booze in my system anyway yeah yeah do people know glucagon doesn't work when you've been it, drinking exactly right? I did not know that yeah yeah so, I know um, that interesting but nurses should so know that I know I should but so, yeah. so why don't we why don't we retcon what happened to you for a second? We'll act like comic book writers for a second, and uh-huh. we'll just write the ending from the we'll write the beginning from the end. If you were fighting all day with a high blood sugar and you kept kind of nickel and diamond like another unit, another unit, mm-hmm. what you what you should have done in hindsight, and maybe it'll help you next time, is just crush it initially, right? And that and that way, 
you could, if you're going to create your fall there, create it there, catch it there, and then be done. Right. But you, you put in a little, then a little, then a little, and now you have life, you have insulin alive in you for, you know, six, eight hours instead mm-hmm. of just this one three-hour period that you can just, it, it's so, it's odd because people will listen to that and who don't hear my podcast regularly and think, oh, she was too aggressive. But I think you were not aggressive enough in the beginning, which led you to putting in all these small boluses along the way that finally just caught up with you. Right. Yeah. No, so it was awful. <laughs> and no, now I'm, I'm so sorry scared, for but no, working on it. No. Well, and it's interesting too, because, you know, I just put a post up on, I think on social media today and kind of thanking people for letting me into the club. Cause I really am, you know, I'm like a muggle. I don't have type one <laughs> diabetes. Right. Like, so, um, you know, that people even bother listening to me is, is fascinating to me sometimes because I don't have any first person perspective for what you're talking about. I'm the caregiver of a person with diabetes. Right. And Which so we all I, are sometimes. Yeah. Well mm-hmm. now, I mean, so the reason we really, you know, what we want to talk about is, well, we have some good questions for you, but uh, <laughs> you, you know, pl- what, you have a plan. I have never once had a plan on my podcast. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do sometimes. <laughs> we digress. We, yeah. Digress a lot. Um, but you know, kind of want to talk about, um, what you think healthcare providers should really no, and let's let's give them one of the questions. Um, well, I had a question uh, mm-hmm. that kind of cropped up. Just what was your? You said your daughter was diagnosed a little after her second birthday, and um, what was your experience with getting that diagnosis? Like, how, what what were the the symptoms she was displaying, and what was uh, kind of the final thing that made you uh, you guys land on the or discover the diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. Yeah, yeah, sure. So like everyone else, boy, it's funny. I never really talk about this. Uh, like everyone else, you know, with any disease state, when things are happening to you, you just, you make up excuses for them all the time. My father-in-law had a heart attack 20 years ago. His fingers were numb and tingling. He rubbed Neosporin on them and took a shower. <laughs> he had a massive... Massive heart attack, almost killed him, right? You can laugh, it's fine, he's still alive. And so, um, sorry, but, I didn't but, even but, think no, about how that no, one was, might not be appropriate. I was just like, that laugh. We're all cardiac nurses, by the way, or have been. So, this is like, oh, it's funny. Oh, no, I, 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 in the hospital, he's laying there half dead. They just medevaced him somewhere. He's like, hey, and I'm like, what you fucking do? Go to the hospital. Yeah. And he's like, oh, Neo's you know, foreign. yeah, and, the ho- and by the way, yes. after yeah, was, the, the shower. <laughs> Girls, the shower. Is it ladies or girls? This Me Too thing has got me all screwed up. Um, I don't know what to say. Doesn't um, matter on here. It's, yeah. He um he the shower was after he knew he was having a heart attack. He didn't want to go to the hospital without taking a shower. <laughs> okay. Wow, so he's yeah. an idiot. But we yes. all make up excuses for things right along the way. So my daughter is losing crazy weight, but you can't tell because she's a baby to begin with. She only weighs like 19 and a half pounds. So she loses a pound. I remember saying to my wife like the month before, like, Arden looks like a like a runway model. Like she's not using heroin, is she? <laughs> you know, like you know, like like was really thin, but that never made us go, and we should probably wonder about that, right? Like it just we already had a kid. My son Cole was, you know, I guess uh, God, 2006. He was six years old already, and you know, nothing had ever gone wrong. So we were like, "Oh, this is what you do. Like, you have sex. A kid comes out. You feed it. You put some clothes on. And everything's fine, you know." And and um and Said so no you one just thought, ever. <laughs> yeah, right, right. She's just getting. She's just losing a little weight. She's conscious, right? <laughs> anyway, you know, um, then she gets some inoculations. At you know, and so 
um, you think, okay, well, people always, you know, kids get sick sometimes after they're inoculated. So then you write that off. She, but the real kicker had been Arden had uh, Coxsackie. So um, I think the, the common term for that is hand, foot, mouth disease, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. But it's that Coxsackie virus. Mm-hmm. She had gotten it. I took her to the, you know, the doctor, the pediatrician. He's like, oh, this is, kids get this, blah, blah, blah. It'll be fine. And weeks and weeks later, it was like she got it again. And I took her back to the doctor, and he, I remember him mumbling, like, this is weird. Like, this is like chickenpox. This isn't supposed to come back. So mm-hmm. I've always kind of guessed that she got coxsackie and her body got confused and, and you know, jumped her pancreas and beat it up in, a, in an mm-hmm. alley instead. And, uh, and then that's how the coxsackie was never really gone. It kind of flared back up again. Right. And we should um, say here that, like, a lot of people are diagnosed after they have an episode of Im- Something really intense, like really stressful. I know someone who was in the army and then they got type one or I had a, like, what was it? Diarrhea or something. I had something. I was really like sick for 24 hours and then I got diagnosed shortly after. So something really stressful happens in your body. And anyway, that's why he was saying. You know, we overlooked a number of things and eventually we were on vacation. And I have found this very interesting talking to people. People figure out a lot about their health on vacation. And I've, I think I've come down to believing that it's because you finally slow down. Like you finally aren't working and don't yeah, have a million things Yeah, you run out of excuses. <laughs> you can pay attention to yourself for a second, right? So we're driving down to this vacation house and you know we stopped about 45 minutes before we were going to arrive and we got drinks. And now she's two, she's in a car seat. And when we got there, I thought when I went to get her out of the car, it seemed to me that she must have spilled her drink into the car seat. Now, she had been peeing a lot lately, of course, which we wrote off because she had just gotten off bottles and gone to cups, and we thought, well, she must be drinking more. But her car seat was, I had to unbolt it from the car and dump it out in the driveway. Yes. Thinking I was dumping out soda, and until I dumped it out, realized it was all urine. She had just literally filled the car seat up with urine. And in, and that didn't make us think anything. We were at the beach a couple of days before, you know, I couldn't, she couldn't even go to the beach anymore. Like she just was vacant, you know, and uh, Kelly would take my son to the beach and I'd stay back at the house with her. And I would tell Kelly, I'm like, she's like voraciously hungry, but she's not defecating at all. Mm-hmm. And um, we tried that night to take her out to kind of like a, a, a nature reserve. And she stood there like a zombie. Like there were wild foxes running past her and this beautiful sunset. We were all there and it was like she was dead but standing up. And so about six hours later, we're all sitting around this big table like it was a big family vacation and they were everyone was playing a board game. And I remember kind of yelling across the table to my wife and Arden was asleep on her lap. And I said, uh, I forgot to tell you that I noticed Arden's breath smelled weird today. And she asked me how and I was like, I don't know, like metallic maybe or fruity and my wife's like face like appeared to like slide off her skull like in Mm -hmm. horror and Mm -hmm. as I was looking at her I thought holy shit Arden has diabetes and before I could get it out of my mouth my wife goes Arden has diabetes and it was so long ago that internet wasn't even that common so we're now out on the balcony of a rental house hanging over the side with a laptop stealing (laughs) wi-fi from next door right and we looked up the signs and symptoms of type 1 diabetes, and except for a blood glucose check, she had it. Mm-hmm. So um, I went out to a 24-hour store, and I got a meter and came back. And, you know, you know everybody's story is the same. It said, hi. Right. And I said to my wife, I said to my wife, how nice is it the way they make these things? So they say hello to you before they tell you your blood sugar. <laughs> 
I'm like, that is so fucking thoughtful, right? <laughs> and my wife's like, that's not what's going on. And she flipped through the book and she's like, we have to go to the hospital. Like her blood sugar is over 500. Oh my oh gosh. My so, um, so we did. And it was really, it was. How long was she hard. in the hospital? Oh geez, four or five days. Oh man. And that hospital was not near that beach house in case you're wondering. So, <laughs> yeah, I figured um, not. <laughs> Scariest drive yeah. ever probably, right? It was terrible. Like we, it was the middle of the night. By then it was two or three in the morning. You know, we were um, on the phone with my, my very good friend who happens to be Arden's pediatrician. He was in his underwear online finding us the right hospital to go to. (laughs) And uh, we stopped at this like kind of desolate traffic light that I could have gone through the light. You know what I mean? Like there was no one there at all. And I just remember feeling like, well, I'm not in that much of a hurry to get where we're going. Like, I don't want to get to this hospital because right on someone's yeah, going to tell us our nice Right. Reality you will know? hit. Yeah. And so we went and, um, you know, my poor wife's in a bikini with a sarong, you know, <laughs> and, and, and like you know, she's got sand in her ass and we're just, you know, <laughs> we're in the middle of the night. We get there and they took her from us, um, you know, I guess around three or four in the morning and then they put us in a private room. And uh, I, I've, I've written this before, but it, 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 it remains one of the strangest moments of my life. My wife and I were kind of like propped up on each other on this like small, shitty plastic couch, you know, in this tiny room. And I didn't know that this was possible, but I could feel my wife's dread like through her skin. Do you know what I mean? Like we weren't talking, um, but you could feel how like abjectly horrified she was. Mm-hmm. And I was, I mean, I was as well. We were crying. It was terrible. Um, and they came and got us in the morning and Kelly sat in a chair next to her bed, took Arden, Kelly's still in her bikini. And, uh, I drove back to the vacation house like an hour away to check on our son. And, um, I was gone, you know, six hours checking on my son, getting clothes for my wife, taking a shower, coming back. And when I came back, my wife was still sitting in that chair in the exact same position. Arden, all like 17 pounds of her at that point, these tubes and wires everywhere, and I got there and I said to my wife, I'm like, this is where I left you. And she goes, I haven't moved. I have to pee. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't you get up? And she goes, I didn't, I couldn't leave her. And so my wife sat there with her for like seven or eight hours having to go to the bathroom, just holding her. And I was like, I knew I married the right girl. Like I, <laughs> I had married, I initially married her because she had, and I'm not going to lie to you girls, great cans. But <laughs> the rest of it will come through or it won't, you know. But, um, but uh, she turned out to be a really good girl beyond her, uh, her other uh, attributes. attributes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, that's an intense story. Yeah, that's tough. It's um, about what happened. Yeah. So um, I actually left out some of the sadder stuff in the interest of time. <laughs> so I'm glad <laughs> I cut it down for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but but I would say, you know, you asked a question a while ago, and this is how it's going to go with me. If you don't redirect me, it's your podcast is going to be one long <laughs> hour of me telling a story. So, um, But I think that you guys are in a, and I'll tell you right now, when Kat approached me, um, my first thought was, she's like, we'd like you to come on our podcast. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. That's what I thought privately. Um, and then I thought, no, maybe I will because I'd love to reach the nursing profession because doing what I do on my podcast, the one thing I hear more often than not from people, and I have personal experience with my daughter and uh, recently with a friend of mine who, um, who, who was dying in a hospital and had type 1 diabetes, it is fascinating that hospitals – do not seem to in any meaningful way understand how to administer insulin to people. Right. Or why they should or when they should or anything. Right. Why Why is that? I feel like every type 1 knows that if you go into a hospital, mm-hmm. 
your blood it's sugar gonna is going to be terrible. And some places don't let you manage it on your own. Maybe they're better at doing that now. I don't know. I've, I've never been hospitalized for my diabetes, but that's all I hear. Like, okay, I'm going in. Let's expect, you know, they're going to, I mean, don't you guys follow? So these, Jen and Desi work in hospitals. I don't, but um, do you have like a sliding scale that every person would get? Because it's different. Like yeah. I cannot take tent units. I cannot, I, it would kill me. Like, so what's- yeah, we have at our hospital, we have uh, sliding scales that are, uh, you know, uh, based on weight and then in addition to certain medications that we may be giving. So if a doctor was putting in an order for a Lispro sliding scale, they would, there's a range of weight, like say 80 to 100 kilograms. And then if they were getting steroids, they would add that in and it doses it based on that, those right. um, qualifications. But even still, I mean, it's uh, it's it's not as uh, tight control as the person. Right. Um, well, it, you know what? It depends. I will say, I would say it's a 50-50 split between people who manage it really tightly and really well, really proactively, and then they come into the hospital and we jack everything up. Right. Um, and they don't realize that... I've, I've had a couple incidences where they don't realize they can ask us to manage it on their own mm-hmm. and I we can bring it to the doctor and let them know and the doctor usually says yeah that's fine mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. a lot of the times I work on a cardiac unit where it's a lot of people with a lot of comorbidities poorly controlled health in general and so um, the sliding scale we have is uh, quite aggressive and so also let me ask, sorry go, go ahead. I'm sorry I just want to ask you a question wrapped around this so I'm right to say that when your blood sugar is elevated your body can't heal as well Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. So why do those two things seem like they're like I my own father had type 2 diabetes. I'm adopted, so I mean, technically, you know, it's not my blood dad, but my father had type 2 diabetes, fell in his early 70s, cut his leg, went into a hospital, died there. Right. And you know, and you know, 3 3 days into it, I'm like, "Dad, your blood sugar's like 350." I'm like, "They need to get it down. Like you're you're never going to heal." And then he became septic and he died. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, and I pressed them, he pressed them, everyone pressed them. Like, no, no, we'll worry about your blood sugar after your leg heals. And I kept saying his leg's not going to heal while his blood sugar is that high. And well, it was just, it was as if they didn't know that. It, well, like the problem is that's thinking in terms of like different body systems, but it's all one system. It's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. We need to treat everything together because one system affects the other system. I mean, there are lymph Mm -hmm. nodes in your brain. Like there's, everything is connected. It's connected to your gut. I mean, everything. So you're not managing your blood sugar. Exactly. You're not, we're trying to heal your leg and not even thinking about the thing that's making it worse and preventing it from healing. Also, but but what did you girls, sorry, Scott. No, no, don't be sorry. Go ahead. Talk over. It's fine. I talked (laughs) like a half an hour. What did you, so I'm trying to think of like the cause of this. So what did you guys learn in school that, what did you, what do you remember about being taught from diabetes and management? Holy shit. Who's talking? Kat. Kat, that was going to be my question. I was going to say, how much about diabetes? No, no, no. I'm like, I'm (laughs) you don't even need me here. You asked my question for me. Well, the reason you have a, the reason what? I'm asking it is because I have type one, and so I kind of just zoned out the whole diabetes section of school <laughs> because I like I know all this, so I don't remember what they taught. Honestly, I don't remember school. I just know what we do now <laughs> at the hospital uh-huh. and how we manage it, okay. which was actually a little bit different than Desi that you said we manage a little bit different where yeah. I work. What do, what's the difference? Um, 
Well, we have changed it. I actually used to be on the diabetes committee, which now they laid off like <laughs> the diabetes nurse. So oh, it kind of went away. Um, but when I was on the committee, we developed now, we do like the sliding scale, but we also do like a correctional dose for at least um, before meals mm. or like whatever their sugar is before a meal during the day. So breakfast, lunch, dinner. And I work night shift, so does Desi. So we don't see it as much. But we, I do see the trends and we start everyone, typically the doctors will start everyone on like a Humalog low dose scale. And then if it's two blood sugars, um, I believe it's over 180. Then we move up to the medium, same Mm. story, go to the high scale. And then there's also an additional correctional set um, dose that every patient gets Mm. like based on their own situation. And then typically Atlantis at night. Yes. I have a question. So how much of what you allow the patient to do, I would I would assume some of it depends on their situation. Obviously, if I've just been in a car accident, I don't need to be taking care of my blood sugar, right? Right. But people who are within you know, it's within their power to take care of their blood sugar while they're in their hospital, how much of it is your interpretation of their ability to do it? Like I talk all the time about like I'm in a situation where I speak to people all the time. I don't know their level of understanding. And when I talk to them in person, you can kind of suss it out pretty quickly. I'm talking to a uh, a brighter person, a not so bright person, a person mm-hmm. who's paying attention, not like you know what I mean. Like there's levels of people in that situation. So do you ever look at somebody and say, "This guy looks like he could do it. That one doesn't so much. Oh, I don't yeah. want to put this in." Yeah. That's right. And I would so, say, oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. why do you keep apologizing? Oh. <laughs> listen, I, let, girls, listen. I've been married for like 23 years. <laughs> every every time you're nice to me, it makes me uncomfortable. Okay, so don't you don't have to apologize. Just assume I'm the guy that takes out the recycling. Then that's it. Okay, so go go ahead. Oh, I was um, just gonna say most of the patients are type two that I've taken care of, and I've noticed when I take care of the type ones, they're a lot more educated and on board with, you know, getting every you know their blood sugar controlled and that's keeping a, it controlled. That's a, that's a sadness, and and, yeah. and and you do see it a lot. I think it's because type two diabetes can't kill you today. Right. So so people don't, you know, when you when you're told you have type one, you're like, oh geez, I got I got to figure this out like right now before I leave here, you mm-hmm. know, um, because I could make a bad decision tonight, and that might be the end of me. You're not going to take a, you know, the only thing a, a badly timed metformin is going to do is put you in the bathroom. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know. So, speaking uh, of that, I had a patient today who it was actually my coworker, but called in and his, we had, we got a copy of his lab results and his blood sugar was 399. And so, um, my coworker called him and said, Hey, just, you know, check it in. Um, do you have diabetes? Cause a lot of our patients will come up with high blood sugars and they don't know. Anyway, he did know, but he didn't have primary care. And he said, she said, Oh, well your blood sugar was really high. I said, yeah, I had four bagels with cream cheese. And she said, oh, don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, so Arden had some belly pain. I haven't talked about this on my podcast yet, but Arden had some belly pain a couple months ago, and we were in the emergency room. We got there, and I was like, hey, how are you guys? This is my daughter, Arden. Um, you know, we're here for this. By the way, she has type 1 diabetes. We're going to maintain control of her blood sugar while we're here. And the woman looked at me. And she's like, well, I'll have to ask that. And I stopped and I said, at the risk of sounding like a jackass, let me just say that my daughter has zero diet restrictions and her A1C right now is 5.3. Okay, so 
we're going to do this. We know what we're doing. I appreciate your input. This will be the last time we all talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um, and we were in the ER for, you know, five hours. And they were delightful and helpful. And anything we needed, they were very great about. But it was like it was like I presented the the knowledge that made them comfortable. And once after a three-minute conversation, I think it was clear to the nurse, like, you do know more about this than I do. She's like, just, you know, let me know if you need anything. And that was the end of it. Now, it wasn't an overnight stay, obviously. But I think sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking the nurses that work in the hospital, like when I tell people how to handle school, I'm always like, look, you have to build a long-term relationship. You have to understand that in the beginning, you might sound like a nut. So it's your job not to sound like a lunatic. Don't tell them more than they need to know. Don't scare them too much. Like just... Leave them with the idea that you are in control of this, you understand this, and you'd like to work with them to make it easier. I think it's a lot about that first conversation. And I think that the mistake people make often is that it becomes adversarial right away. They go in the door with that attitude of like, this school's going to listen to me. I know what my kid needs. And by the time you start like that, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. And I think the hospital is a similar situation. I think you have to go in. And even though it might hurt your ego for a second, you have to prove to the people in the hospital that you're a reasonable person that can take care of this. Absolutely. Because they, they don't know you. And yeah, and, and, they, and the, the status quo with the patient we're dealing with is that they don't uh, know the extensive nature of diabetes. They don't, you know, I mean, it's one thing in a school situation when you're dealing with a kid, the, the parent is advocating for a kid. Uh, they're well-educated in the disease, but with a lot of the patients we have, like uh, Jen said, that's type 2 diabetes, and they've gotten kind of a brush over explanation of it, a little education on, you know, diet uh, management and a pill that helps take care of it. So yeah. they, they're not as well-versed in it as they really should be and for their own safety. And so uh, it, it sadly develops the kind of culture of, oh, well, the hospital healthcare workers know best in this situation. And then we do come across, I had a patient that was like just amazing uh, as far as being proactive with her blood sugars. Um, like, Like you said, knew diabetes top to bottom way more extensively than I did. And it was just like... I just like wanted to hug her because I was like, you just know so much. I wish more, you know, people were more educated. Mm-hmm. Um, was she type one or two? She was type two. Oh, okay. She was just kind of a type A personality and she yeah. knew it. Um, right. She if knew what I she had, had to do. If there were 48 hours in a day, I'd start a type two podcast so I could talk to people with type two. I just don't know how to, uh, I don't have any more time because right. it's such an, it's an underserved group of people that grows exponentially constantly. And you bump into people with type two in the real world and they talk about their disease, some of them, you know, like, well, this is what the doctor told me. I'm like, well, what do you find? They're like, I don't know. I just take the, I'm, are you testing? No, I take the pill. And I'm like, oh my God, okay. That's yeah. not going to work out for you. It's, but um, It's really you know, hard it, to see that too. And it like, yeah. And, and even as nurses, we don't have time to sit down and, you know, unless you're working in an endo office and you're the CDE, that's not your job. So you notice an area that like needs a huge gap in right. the, Education. Exactly. I had a patient that yeah. just got diagnosed. She had a, a, a massive STEMI, which is like the most dangerous heart attack you can have, and um, was in the hospital and got diagnosed. Her A1C was 8.7. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I was talking to her. She was like on day four in the hospital, and I was trying to teach her, assuming she had had a baseline of education, right. and she knew nothing. Nobody had talked to her about it. So that actually brings us to one of the questions for Scott, which... Sure. was um, 
Do you want to get the question? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I think it was like if um, there's a newly diagnosed diabetic, let's say in the hospital, what are like three or four points, main points that you would say before that we could educate them on before they left? Oh, that's let's, easy. So, okay. yeah, that's – listen, it, it, my goal for my podcast is to put my podcast out of business one day. Mm-hmm. And the only way that's going to – after my son's college has been over. But <laughs> um, but, uh, but but I'm just kidding. I hope that I hope the disease is cured tomorrow. I wouldn't <laughs> care if I had to go make money a different way. Right. Uh, but, you know, if it's not going to go away, I'd like to – anyway. Um, I, I think that I on a – you know, going back to what I think I do compared to what other people think I do, there's plenty of people who say you provide me with community. Um, you provide me with a pat on the butt, you know, like you can do it, go do it. Or, you know, like just like you said, like I'm like just, you know, more insulin. It's like people say more insulin because of the podcast because they'll ask me like, what do I do? I'm like, use more insulin. How do I know how much? Here's ways to figure that out. So in the end, I think what I do in, I guess in one vein is and by the way, nothing on my podcast is advice. No, I don't give yes, advice. Right? Nothing I just you tell hear people on this podcast is considered <laughs> medical advice or otherwise. No, I Please can, do you want me to do it for you here right now, Go Kat? for it. Go for it. Nothing you hear with whining with nurses should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before becoming bold with insulin or making any changes to your medical plan. There you go. Um, Thank you very much. I love that. I have said that way too many times in my life. Um, I teach people how to use insulin. At the core of what that podcast is, that's what it's about. It's about understanding timing and amount, how insulin works in your body specifically, how you can manipulate it to do what you want to do, and how you can do all those things and eat the food you want. That's what the podcast is about. Do you agree with that, Kat? Yes. Yeah. So, so if you're going to teach people something- yeah. So three main, to- three main things. So you'd say, okay, you're just diagnosed in the hospital- these for healthcare professionals, what are the three main things to have, you know, I guess we're focusing on type ones that you could know and send them out the door that for us nurses, we could educate them on. You have to give them a clear and cogent understanding between the differences between their basal and bolus insulin. They okay. need to understand that, yeah, that their basal insulin is what it does and that its function isn't to bring their blood sugar down. Their fu- its function is to keep their blood sugar stable. And that if their blood sugar fasting is not stable around 85 or 90, then their basal insulin is wrong. Mm-hmm. That there's no way their boluses are going to work if their basal's wrong. And the reason is simple, right? If, you, if you're an adult who needs two units of uh, basal insulin an hour and you have it set at, 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 a, at a unit and then you go eat a meal that takes five units of insulin... Well, you are deficient that whole day, a unit of insulin every hour. You put that five units in, it's meaningless. It's just replacing. It's doing the job of the basal, right? And so they put in their insulin for their food and think, oh, I don't know why my blood sugar went up or why won't it come down? And the reason is their basal is not right. So they have to understand what the basal is and they have to understand how to make it right. Mm -hmm. They have to learn that they're going to have to be flexible with their insulin dosages and they're going to need to learn how to make adjustments to it because there are so many variables in their life and those variables are going to create situations where my 1.5 units every hour of basal insulin is not enough. And so they're going to have to know when that is. I think that's the first thing. Okay. I think the second thing is that they need to understand that if they just pre-bolus their meals, their A1C will be a point lower. And that they can't not pre-bolus their meals. That is huge. You, that is just yeah. like, I know about, I've always known about pre-bolusing and I don't know why. It's not that hard. And only recently started 
mostly <laughs> implementing <laughs> it, but there's a huge difference and you, you see a huge difference. So yeah. pre-bolusing so, is huge. Right. So for you guys listening, for nurses listening, what I usually do when I'm up on stage talking about this or on the podcast, I kind of draw this image of a tug of war. And I say, look, there's a rope like at a, a tug of war at a schoolyard, and in the middle of that rope is a flag. And on one side of the rope is your insulin, and on the other side is your body function and carbs, the things that try to make your blood sugar go up. If you yell go, the carbs are going to win because the insulin doesn't come online right away, right? It takes time to get working in your body. And so you have to put the insulin in first to let it start building up momentum and strength. So that right when the insulin's about to pull on that rope, that's when the carbs pull. So if this fight begins at a 90 blood sugar and you've used enough insulin and you've timed it properly, that fight ends at a 90 blood sugar because the insulin pulls and the carbs pull and they get exhausted. The insulin runs out, the carbs get digested, the rope falls to the ground, your blood sugar is still 90. That's how you see those straight lines on people's Dexcom graphs because they have the timing and the amount right. I tell people all the time at the end of live shows, if you don't leave here thinking timing and amount is the most important thing, you were not listening. Hmm. So they have to understand, because you even said it, Kat, a second ago, it was very interesting. You said, yeah, pre-bolusing, that's important. You said it like it was a thing. It's not a thing. It's, it, it's a something to understand. It's how the insulin works in your body. I put it in at 9 p.m., my blood sugar is 140. My blood sugar doesn't start going down for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, some people a half an hour sometimes, depending on situation, your hydration, all this stuff, right? So that's why I would tell you if you can afford, and this is probably the third thing I would tell them going out the door, if your insurance will cover it, get a Dexcom continuous glucose monitor. It is possibly the most important thing you could do. I agree so, with all of those points. I, yep. if, and I've heard tons of people say this. If I had to choose a pump or a Dex, which would you choose to live without? I would live yep. without a pump because the DEX is invaluable. I can't, you can't do diabetes anymore now that this thing exists without, I mean, you can't yeah. do it well, I don't think. Yeah, the, the CGM's like having an all-star quarterback and then having a pump is like adding two all-star receivers, right? right. Like you, you can get through with the quarterback. It's going to be a lot easier with the receivers. And right. Because if you have a pump, you can start manipulating your basal insulin. There's nothing more valuable once you understand how your pump works than the idea that I can stop my basal from running. I can just shut it off. Or I can double it. I can, I can you know, ramp up its power if I need to. Um, those are indispensable tools. I'll tell you what, the fourth thing, and I hope this doesn't sound, I'm sure it will, but I, I'm not kidding. I tell people to listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Be because you have immediate community. You hear, and, and the, the bigger idea is that his diff, this, this diabetes thing and how insulin works is confusing, right? And if there's one thing in the whole world I'm good at, it's describing how to use insulin and the ideas around type 1 diabetes in very easy to understand digestible ways. Right. And if you listen week after week, you eventually hear a story that makes sense to you. Because maybe I'll say it one way this week and it won't strike you. You know what I mean, Kat? But then the next week, somebody else says it and you're like, oh, I get it now. Right. Well, someone and else's so story might be very relatable to yours and it just clicks with you. Right. Plus, I'm a very good interviewer, so I make people incredibly comfortable, and then they say shit they shouldn't say. <laughs> and so they, and so they. I mean, how many times have you listened to the podcast thinking, oh my God, the, that family's going to be destroyed by this? Right. Oh, the girl that uh, thought her In parents Idaho? were just okay. 
oh my god, that was great. Or the the girl who was like, I'm honestly, I'm my kid, my parents' favorite kid. Right. Oh, I that was, was. I was like cringing, going, oh, please take it back. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what if they're just telling you that because yeah. you're like their least favorite? They're trying to make you feel better. And there's this little pause, and I was like, don't think about it. Yeah. It'll be fine. But yeah, really, so- I do, I do tell other like anyone. There was um like on I I'm like huge on Instagram so as in I like I go on it a lot for the type one community and there was someone who said oh my son was recently diagnosed and I said the first thing go and listen to the Juice Box podcast it'll change your life you can you won't feel so alone really good tips it was it I wish I had had it when I was diagnosed that is very nice thank you for saying that I'll, I'll say this too I mean this if a nurse is listening or a doctor. I know you feel like I don't need this and it's a podcast. If you just go listen to the series within the series, the pro tips, the diabetes pro tips um, episodes inside of season five, it's me and uh, a CDE who also has type one. Her name is Jennifer Smith. And we talk through the concepts of the podcast one episode at a time. If you listen to that, you will be a better clinician for people with diabetes. Agreed. Um, and, 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 and the truth is, it, it's hard, right? It's hard to think as a doctor, there's a guy with a pot. Because trust me, I hear myself saying it. I'm 48 years old. I have a podcast. It's really douchey. Like, I get it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like it feels wrong to say out loud, but it works. And who cares why it works, right? So I agree with like the pro tips, like Jenny, you and Jenny, those are the, the main points. So any professionals listening, go listen, find the pro tip series. And listen to it'll all just, of them. It'll just fast forward you into a bigger idea. Exactly. And then you'll know how to talk about it with people better. You know, I right. listen, I gave a talk at a hospital in New Jersey. And the lead, the person in charge of the endocrinology department was, said, I, we want to have that guy back again. And people told me that he was like an old school doctor. And that everything I said was probably counterintuitive to what he had been telling people his whole life. Right. Oh, no. and, when he, and, and when he heard it, he was like, this is great. Let's have him back. So before your, before your connection crashes again, and because I was so chatty, I just want to hear what the rest of your questions were going to be that I chatted right through and you couldn't get to. Oh, yeah. Oh. Do you have them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me uh, – so we actually got through quite a few of them that are pretty good. Um, it was about – we had one about uh, inpatients managing their own blood sugar we talked about. Um, one question was, have you ever had an experience with a healthcare provider where you feel like they just don't get it? Like they just – like you said, in, in the situation where you took your daughter with the st- uh, stomach pain to the uh, yeah. ER, you knew – diabetes head to toe better than she, the nurse did. Yeah. Um, and then the last one was uh, one of our former classmates recently confided that she has uh, diabetes bulimia. Do you know what this means and how I can be supportive? That was a right yeah, question. I, 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 well, I just put an episode up last week with a girl who had it. Okay. Epi- episode, episode 250 is all about it. And I've, I've, I've talked to other people before. That is... Um, the the real answer to that is that when you have a child with type 1 it has to be one of your main goals needs to be not to create an adverse an adverse relationship with food with them like the minute they start mm-hmm. feeling like i can't eat that because i have diabetes or you start saying oh your blood sugar's too high for that i'd rather my daughter's blood sugar be high than for her to think of food as something bad because if it clicks in your brain the wrong way and you end up with an eating disorder with diabetes, that's a bad deal. Yeah. Um, and the girl that I spoke to last week, she figured out she could manipulate her weight by not taking her insulin. 
and that turned into a huge problem for right. it because of course you know anybody who understands like a, a low carb diet right you put yourself into ketosis to lose fat and so the same thing happens if you don't take your insulin your mm. blood sugar gets too high and your body starts urinating like crazy trying to get rid of the sugar but ends up getting rid of the you know your weight um and so it, it's it's a massive problem, like like and and it's something that is not spoken about. So I talk to anybody who ever wants to come on and talk about. It, I always let them come on because I think it's really important to share. But I think that starts with um, it starts in the beginning. Like you have to, and and it goes back to what I said earlier. If these people in the beginning of their life with diabetes understood how the insulin worked, then all the bad stuff that comes afterwards wouldn't happen. Right, like all right. the things that people think about, like oh, that's just diabetes, or I can't eat pizza, or whatever it ends up being, that all stems from not understanding insulin. Yeah. I, I always say that if you find yourself saying that's just diabetes, what you mean is I don't know how my insulin works. Yeah, yeah. So Definitely. that's it. Those are good questions. I'm sorry, I'm so chatty. No, we, no, we love it. We have you on here to talk, really. So they did you guys drink extra? <laughs> what? Did you drink extra? We tonight got through a whole talking? bottle of wine. Yeah, I now we're nice. now we're about to record a second yeah, episode in too many episodes, so we're oh going to have fun God. after this. <laughs> All right, so let us know how t- how people can connect with you. Okay, well, if you just want to listen to the podcast, it's on every place you can imagine. Pandora, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Podcasts. Uh, you go to my go to juiceboxpodcast.com. There's links to all kinds of places for Android apps. If you have a podcast app, search for Juicebox Podcast. You'll find it. Uh, it's called Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. I'm on Facebook as Bold with Insulin. I'm on Instagram at Juicebox Podcast. Uh, and I got crazy cool merch too at juiceboxpodcast.com for some of the sayings that help you remind you to take your insulin and do stuff like that. Um, but mostly it's the podcast. I have a great type one parenting blog called Arden's Day. It's at ardensday.com. I don't talk about it that much on the podcast I get, I guess. Um, or if you want me to come out to your event and talk to you about how to be bold with insulin, I do a lot of that too. So just reach out. Um, but the podcast is the best way. I mean, start at the beginning, start new, jump around. I don't think it matters. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like I said earlier, if it's, uh, if it's somebody trying to figure out how to support someone with type 1, you go to episode 210. is called Diabetes Pro Tip, Newly Diagnosed or Starting Over. It's only about 11 episodes long right now. I keep adding more. Actually, next week it'll go up. It'll be about looping. Um, but but those, at, at a, you know, don't listen to the whole other podcast if you don't want to. But listen to those. It will change the way you think about insulin. I'm telling you right now, my daughter's A1C has been between 5'2 and 6'2 for five years. No diet restriction. She had Chinese food tonight for dinner. And where so, is she now? Um, her blood sugar is 120. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. So, um, and so uh, it, that's, it'll change the way, I promise you, it will change the way you think about your diabetes. And uh, it'll, it'll, change, it'll change a lot for you. So I really hope you give it a shot. Thank you for sharing this information and changing other type ones lives. It, it, it's huge. And hopefully this can help some people, other healthcare providers, um, I'm now starting to tell healthcare professionals to listen to it. I told the endo about it and he wants to like spread it around. So thank you. And thank you for coming on today. It's been so nice talking with you. I had a great time. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. I talk way too much. That's what I learned tonight. Thank God. I hey, have you said to stop feel- saying sorry. Don't say sorry, Scott. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Have a great night, guys. You too. You too. Take care. Bye.